Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, good morning to you on a Monday. May is here in Indianapolis. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. Hope you are set for a fantastic week. And again, a reminder, if you're running the mini marathon on Saturday, start. Uh, you can go with the Query uh, fail-proof formula, which is... Two Pedialytes on Thursday, two Pedialytes on Friday, and plenty of water in both those days. Almost as surely you will not cramp. It's like someone getting ready for the Little 500 weekend. <laughs> hey, I'm going to visit my buddy and I you this weekend. Good point. Um, so the NFL draft is complete. The Colts, you know, did what the Colts do, which is accumulating a lot of like the mid-round picks. The question that I have for you, Kevin Bowen, because you were there, you were... Um, sitting there covering the draft and and putting out articles that are all on our website, profiling the different players or the different angles of the draft, the trades that they made to accumulate more picks. Was there a position you felt they neglected? And there was a is there a position you felt that they unnecessarily addressed? Um, the neglected part, I would go either linebacker or just like the interior of their offensive line, uh, probably linebacker more than anything. Um, and again, you can look at it and say, okay, that's, that's good news on the Shaquille Leonard front. I probably choose to look at the Leonard situation and say, boy, I need to be in the, you know, I'll believe that when I see it sort of camp just with how difficult the decision the injury situation has been to gauge and, and how it's impacted him now for several seasons um, there's several undrafted linebackers and, and it's not you know the most pressing position in the world but that's one and then we mentioned the undrafted free agent Jake Emil Echior who played at Cathedral started at right guard for Alabama um, he is in the undrafted class and we know this franchise's history and I think if there are positions on a team where you're like Hey, where can an undrafted dude potentially have a long career? I think interior offensive line would be one of those spots. I mean, hell, Jeff Saturday yeah, would be the perfect example of that with this franchise. So, uh, Ekior does walk into not only you know a, a, a building he has some familiarity with, um, but he also, I think, is in a pretty good situation to potentially make the roster. I would say a position that I found interesting they drafted and I'm sure when you look at the list, Jake, do you, did you notice the Indiana football tie of the 12-man draft class? The Indiana football tie? You mean uh, the Warren Central tie? Uh, no, no, no. Indiana University football. Oh, wait a minute. Now I've got to look up. Hit me while I look it up. How's that? Um, I was going to say, should I? Literally? Yeah, should I walk <laughs> over there? Um, <laughs> might wake me up. This guy's quarterback was actually uh, Gus Bradley's son. In high school oh, in the Jacksonville of course, area. Of course, Mallory, right. Uh, course. Will Mallory, uh, grandfather, of course, Bill. Um, Uncle Kurt at Indiana State. Dad is a special teams coach in the NFL. Will Mallory, uh, tight end from Miami. Now, that's and you, you're going to laugh when I say this. 
I think most know by now, you don't need to clarify this, but that's Miami, Florida, because there yes. are some that might think Miami, Ohio, because that's where Bill Mallory came from. Yeah, yeah. thank you for, for pointing that out. Yeah, this, this is the U. Um, Will Mallory, and again, in typical Colts drafting fashion, ran the fastest 40 of any tight end at the Combine. What I find interesting about that, Jake, is his skill set is not necessarily known as a strong blocker. And when I look at the tight end group last year, not that they were some just incredibly dynamic pass-catching group, and certainly the quarterback play has a lot to do with that, but I would think blocking is more the missing element than being a big-time receiving See, threat I'm gonna, for I'm, you. I'm going to disagree on that. I, I think they need – They do. I'm not saying that, that Moali Cox and you know who they have, Jelani Woods, aren't these guys. Jelani Woods did show to be like a red zone target, but – I think they need, and I have no idea if Mallory's this guy, but I, I just think they need a slip in the middle, extend yardage play tight end like you're starting to see more teams have. And by that, I mean not like you're, to use the term I was told, you know, battleship tight ends that take forever to turn around, but a Kittle Kelsey type guy. And, and those guys don't grow on trees. I get that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, love Kittle or Kelsey. I just felt right. like... I mean, there's I a like reason the, those guys are elite. I get it. I felt like the loss of Jack Doyle was really, really felt last oh, season. Oh, I don't dispute that. And, and so I was thinking a little bit more in that mold. Now, again, granted, I mean, Jack Doyle was an undrafted free agent. So it, it's not like, you know, you necessarily you know need to find these guys in round three or round four. But I bring up tight end, and Jeremy uh, tweeted me earlier in the show saying, does the drafting of another young tight end spell the end of Mo Ali Cox here? You look at this tight end group right now, Mo Cox, Kylan Granson, Drew Ogletree, the rookie who had a really promising camp last year towards ACL, um, obviously Will Will Mallory. Um, well, Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods, of course. And then they did sign a tight end free agency, Pharaoh Brown, who has played in the league, has got a little bit more blocking experience than most. Those are six guys you could all make a pretty strong case for making the team. And it's a luxury if you keep four tight but ends. But don't they feel interchangeable? You know, Granson and Mallory, I think, fall into a similar group. A little bit smaller on the tight end front, a little bit more of like that. Remember Trey Burton a few years ago, who really helped out the Colts? When they had Phillip Rivers, just kind of like that hybrid tight end, like almost a bigger wideout, they kind of fit in that mold. So, you know, cutting Mo Alley Cox or trading him, that was a popular question that I received over the weekend. First off, what the hell are you getting from Mo Alley Cox? Right. If Stefan Gilmore nets a fifth rounder, what are you getting from Mo? That would be the first question I'd ask. I also think Mo Alley Cox, more than any of those tight ends I mentioned, he actually brings a little bit of blocking compared to the others. And again, I think that element is what you're missing more than some of the others. So I think tight end will be very interesting to watch them kind of pare that group down. I think Jelani Woods could have a breakout season. I think Kylan Granson has had some flashes. But if I were to see this draft pick of Will Mallory, granted it's in the fifth round, I'd be kind of like, ooh, um, this is definitely going to be a big camp for me. Jake, I think one of the best stories of the entire draft is the final pick the Colts had. That would be Jake Witt out of Northern Michigan. Uh, Again, my first name and my strongest attribute right there in one guy. The ego that you have when you're so tired is still... It almost grows. Unrivaled. (laughs) Yeah, it almost grows, to be honest with you. you Do you know what I've always said about my ego? I have none. About my humility. Do you realize how hard it is to be humble when you're me? 
right? My God, it's only seven fifty. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think that's a fair observation, is it not? Uh, as you were, Kevin. Um, there's something to do with directional schools in Michigan and guys that have basketball interesting backgrounds that then play offensive tackle for the Colts. And let me explain. Obviously, Joe Wrights and Bernard Ryman would be two that immediately come to mind. Jake Witt appears to be the third. Uh, the guy did not play organized football until his junior year of high school. And at that point, it was eight-man football. He's from the Upper Peninsula, Jake. He was the Upper Peninsula. Oh, the Upper, yeah. Mr. Basketball. Uh, he initially went to Michigan Tech to play basketball. So goes to Michigan Tech in 2018, plays basketball. Plays for a year, done with it. 2019, he transfers to Northern Michigan. When I think of Northern Michigan, I always think of them having a great hockey team. I always feel like they're in the Frozen Four. But nonetheless, he's at Northern Michigan as a regular student in 2019. 2020, he decides to join the football team. COVID hits, he sticks with football. He plays tight end initially at Northern Michigan. They're playing Ferris State in the 2021 season. They have a bunch of injuries in the first half. One of their coaches comes up to him at halftime and says, here's jersey number 65, you're playing offensive tackle for us. And now here he is, drafted in the NFL. Played offensive tackle, put on about 40, 50 pounds, um, again, this is a dart at the board because this dude is very athletic. You know, the big vertical, um, great tester. Tony Soprano Jr., the position coach uh, here on the O-line for the Colts, went um, up there and worked him out. And the Colts say, all right, maybe he'll be on our practice squad for two years, but 6'8", 300-pound dudes don't typically move like that. He needs to put on a whole lot of strength and lower body and all of that, and he played at the Division II level. But you know what? Plop him on the practice squad and see at a position of importance if he can do something. From the Marquette, Michigan newspaper, okay, which is in the Upper Peninsula, the opening headline of the article about Jake Witt being drafted, one of our very own Uper athletes is headed to the NFL. Now, if you read that in the way they say it, it's, oh, one of our very own Uper's headed to the NFL. Yeah. Kevin, you said the word plop, right? <laughs> plop him right in there. That's nice. Can you imagine if you were like Tony Sprano, the position coach, and Ballard comes to you and like, yeah, we're thinking about taking this dude that's barely played any college football in D2. You've got to go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, though, that's to right. work him out. Oh, gosh. Um, again, it's not like he's going to turn into this by any means, but I do think it's worth pointing out. Shane Steichen comes from Philadelphia. For those that watched the Eagles this past season, um, Jordan Mailata, one of their offensive tackles, was a rugby player. Hadn't played football. They draft him late, and he's turned into a hell of a story for the Eagles opposite Lane Johnson in Philly. So these sorts of picks on day three, Jake, I think this is why you do do some of these trade backs, collect the picks. I'm not maybe the biggest fan in the world of it, but you sit here and you say, you know what? There are stories of this. Offensive tackle is a premium position. Why not give it a try? And we brought it up in the opening segment with the practice squad expanding. This is, I think, some of the thought process with the Colts trying to throw a dart here. Uh, do you know the last UP player selected in the NFL draft? Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. The last Northern Michigan player. Sorry, Northern Michigan University player. Uh, Mark Maddox, household name, taken by the Buffalo Bills in 91. Do you know what people in the Upper Peninsula call the rest of Michigan residents? 
I do not. Trolls, because they live... This is a true story. Not trying to be funny. They call them trolls because they say that they all live under the bridge. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Yeah, you heard the promo right there. Jake, beyond the bricks, right? 8 o'clock tonight? That is correct. And that is every night during the month of May following Trackside with Kevin Lee and That's Kirk right. Kevin? That's uh, right. Mike Thompson and I pulling some of the audio archives of yesteryear that includes um, our show tonight. I think we're going to play some audio from the early winners, those voices that you might not have ever heard before, Ray Haroon amongst them. Um, the early winners of the 500 featured tonight. Tomorrow featuring Sid Collins, and then we'll also this week feature some of the Indiana drivers that have run in the Indianapolis 500 over the years. I guess our next guest is a fan of that sort of listening experience. Uh, it is the month of May, so I can only imagine the emotions uh, for Doug Bowles waking up today. Although, Doug, I think when you take one look outside this morning, you say, let's get this out of the way on May 1st and save the final Sunday of May for a little bit better weather. You know, I'm still so excited that it's May 1st. I haven't even gotten to process the rain, so I'm still <laughs> still fired up it's May 1st. But you're right. I think when I sit down and really start thinking about it, let's get it out of the way and make sure May 28th is a nice, beautiful, 75-degree, sunny Indiana day. Doug, I was listening to you on with Jake and Mark Janes. This would have been, I guess, at the Oval Test. Um, what was that? I guess a little bit over a week ago. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought you, uh, I thought I heard you say ticket sales for this year's 500 are the best since the turn of the century, excluding the hundredth running. Is that correct? That's a hundred percent correct. Last year was that right? We were so surprised. We knew everybody wanted to come back, you know, finally after COVID. So last year, we were surprised it was as big as it was. And in, in another way, we thought, well, you know, this is everybody finally gets to come back. And we were worried that this year would be a fall off from that. And it's actually up. And it's something I know our, our ticket team's tired of hearing from me because I'll ask them four or five times a day to make sure that we're continuing that trend, uh, which has been which has been fantastic. We had a great weekend of ticket sales. It's uh, yeah, it's going to be the biggest crowd we've had uh, 
we've had since the turn of the century other than the hundreds. And then the only, you know, obviously if uh, my, the biggest worry for me would be like on weather on race day and a few of those GA people don't show up, but, but our margin's pretty big right now. You could almost, uh, we could almost weather that kind of storm. Doug, in terms of people that are indeed, you know, you were talking about, I think we all were right. Curious, not only coming off of the hundredth, what the attendance would be, but then, uh, even though thankfully it's more and more in the rearview mirror, but coming off of COVID, what the attendances would the attendance would be for those people that are just now coming back and have not been for a, a few years, let's say pre-COVID, if you will. What sort of changes, if any, are new this year versus last that even anybody is going to see when they come out, or the improvements to the speedway itself? Well, for this year, the, you know, if you haven't been since before. Before COVID, I think it's just this, the customer experience things that Rogers allowed us really to work on restrooms and and the, the backside of the grandstands. If you're on the front stretch, a lot more space to move north and south. I think has changed this year. Uh, we uh, continue to invest in customer experience. If you ha- if you're a GA ticket holder, especially a GA ticket holder for our uh, for our Grand Prix. There's a new video board that, that will play to the folks that sit on that spectator mound right next to, to the chicanes, the driver's left of the chicane. A few new video boards on the front stretch. We reskinned the pylon with some new uh, some new, uh, some new LEDs, so that'll, that'll show up a lot better. Continue to work on some restrooms. Now, one of the things that'll be new to us this year, but something that we all experience every time we go somewhere, we will have uh, metal detectors at the gates as people go through, uh, which will start from the moment we actually open up the gates um, for, for the first practice for the Grand Prix. These will be unique in the sense that you won't have to take anything out of your pockets. You can walk through with your coolers, so hopefully it doesn't slow things down. But you know, that'll be a little different. But I think also one of the things we've heard from fans over the last few years is you know, safety is really important to them. Again, Doug Bowles is with us here, kicking off the month of May. The Grand Prix coming up a week from Saturday, and then, uh, what is it, two weeks from Tuesday, I guess, we'll open up practice on the Oval. Doug, I remember talking with you, I guess it would have been maybe the first few days after last year's 500, somewhere in that week, and, and as you debriefed with your team, you had mentioned kind of two things that stood out to you as you know areas that you wanted to continue to work on, and that was post-race traffic, which I would guess is easier said than done, and then just the handling of consent sessions on race day um anything you'd like to share with our audience on either of those items yeah those were two really big pain points for for us and for our customers uh we've just been doubling down so is local law enforcement on trying to figure out what caused the issues last year coming in as well as getting out but coming in a little was a little more uh challenging because you hope that you can get in people in as quickly as possible leaving is always going to be a challenge because it's 325,000 people trying to leave the same location at the exact same time. Um, so we've, we've been working really hard with them. I think we have a good plan. They're, you know, you're obviously still going to have a wait when the second largest city in the state of Indiana is in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, so, uh, but, but I feel pretty good about that. And we've worked with our concession partner pretty significantly. So our points of sale, uh, we're, we're going to go up about 40% the number of points of sales we have. We've been working with them really hard. They actually ran out of some food at different places so we worked hard with them to try and try and solve that so our fingers are crossed i mean it's been the the high level two high level things we've worked on since uh since last May. doug this is kind of a tough question or a tough answer i guess the question's easy the answer might be harder i've tried my entire life a half century now on the planet 45 probably years of those i've been aware of what 
it meant to me, but I don't know that I've ever been able to find the words to it. How would you describe to somebody who is not from Indianapolis or who hasn't stopped to grasp the heritage of it, what it means for the month of May in this city? Yeah, that's that's a question I get just like you. I get a lot. Um, how do you describe the Indy 500 for somebody that's never been? How do you describe it for what it means to this community? Uh, it's, it, it is one of those things that you say you almost just have to be there. But I, I think what it really means for our community, and by community, I don't just mean Indianapolis. I mean the state of Indiana. It, it is a moment every year for the 107th time this year that the state of Indiana is on an international stage where the eyes of the sporting world, the eyes of the event world, certainly the eyes of the racing world are, are on our city and our state, not just our race car drivers and our events. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to showcase the things that make Indiana, Indiana so special. So the way we celebrate the men and women who've served and honor those families of service men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country's freedom. It, it's about 33 men and women who are going to strap a race car on their back and forget the risk, and they're going to do everything they can to reach racing immortality by crossing a yard of bricks before everybody else at the end of 500 miles. And it's just the it's the um, it's like a massive family reunion with people that you may not even really know, but when you show up in the facility and you look around and you realize you're at a really special place and you see tears rolling out of people's eyes during back home again in Indiana or during taps, you realize that you are at a place that is so much more than a race. And at the end of the day, it is that opportunity that we have as Hoosiers to showcase um, our Hoosier hospitality and our appreciation for the country that we live in uh, that everyone around the world pays attention to. I think one of the things to me, and I've said this before to you, Doug, many times, I know Doug Bowles, our guest, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, he's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. To me, the thing that makes IMS so special is that in the Indianapolis 500 in particular, is that it's the one event I can think of where everybody in the crowd feels their own personal connection to it and they are convinced that their connection is more significant than everyone else's, but not in a bad or competitive way. I think there's an appreciation for everybody looking around the venue realizing that they are sharing in that experience that everybody else shares in their own private way. And I don't know that there's anywhere else I go that you can say that about. You know, it's, it's, it really is a testament to the fact that the Indianapolis 500 is celebrating its 107th running with over 300,000 people in it because of the fans. The fans are what has made this event the event that it is over the years. It, this racing spectacular, the drivers are heroic, the stories are pretty amazing, but it's the fans, the constant of the fans, generations of fans who have been introduced by their dad or their granddad or some somebody has brought them along and introduced them to it, and then they continue to continue to tell that story. We are a privately owned company that just like you said, there are hundreds of thousands of people that believe it is their company. Um, and that's a really unique spot to be in. And it's the one fortunate place for us to be in is that it really is all about the fans. And we're fortunate that Tony Hallman was a fan, the Hallman George family forever, forever. They were fans. And now we have a new fan leading the way in Roger Pinsky and he gets that concept that this really is about the fans and their unique connection to it. So Doug, let's talk about Doug Bowles, our guest, the month itself, because it is more than just actual race day. So if you could, and I realize while driving off the top of your head, although I'm, I'm guessing you've gone over this a few times, 
the calendar of events and the things going on aside from the 107th running of the Indy 500? Well, the month sort of kicks off this Saturday, right? I mean, we get the mini marathon where 35,000 people actually run around uh, the track about halfway through the mini marathon that the 500 festival does. And then this, the, our Rev event, uh, which is an IU Health Foundation event, that's sort of the party that kicks the month of May off is Saturday night. And then a week from a week from Friday, we open the gates for the GMR Grand Prix practice and qualifying. And then we have that GMR Grand Prix race on uh, a week from Saturday. That race... For those people that still don't, I still get a lot of people that say, well, what kind of cars run that? It's the Indy 500 drivers, there'll be 27 or 28 of them, that run in their Indy cars. A little bit different body work because it's on the road course, not the oval. It's a really great event, especially if you want to bring kids or you want to come to the race for the first time but don't want to deal with 300,000 people. It's a great way to experience that. Take two days off, celebrate Mother's Day, give the teams a day to get cars converted. And then uh, on that following Tuesday, we have practice for the Indy 500 and then normal qualifying weekend. I'm excited about qualifying this year um, on that on that Sunday. So two weeks uh, from this Sunday, uh, we'll actually have bumping. We have 34 cars in the field, so that'll create some drama on uh, on Sunday for for the pole position, the fast 12, and then uh, and then bumping. And then we'll have a final practice. One of my favorite days of the year is the Monday after qualifying. We're actually open for practice, and it's really a full tank practice where the teams are getting a few hours of running in packs and trying to get ready for race day. They take a few days off. We do car bay, uh, last practice, Brian Adams concert, uh, pit stop competition, and then uh, then we got the parade downtown, a, um, a concert downtown, and then race day on Sunday, May twenty eighth. So that's kind of where it, how the month goes. Okay, so we're bumping one this year, like you said. Same qualifying format, uh, fast twelve, if you will. Um, what should we be on the lookout for from like pre-race announcements? Just hearing you describe it a few minutes ago already got me, you know, chills. Kind of thinking about um, how, how much I love that that time of the year. Uh, pace car, green flag, anything else that I'm missing? Yeah, national anthem singer. Anthem. Um, we'll have a we'll have a variety of. Uh, Variety of celebrity announcements now and then. Folks that are that are going to be involved in in the race, including uh, the GMR Grand Prix. So we'll we'll start doing that stuff uh, this week and next. And uh, pace cars coming up pretty soon. Excited about that. Working on finalizing uh, the pace car driver. We've got a couple of people really interested this year. Honestly, the challenge with the pace car anymore is because it's 650 to 700 horsepower, you really have to go train before you can come and we just plop you in the car. Uh, we've seen incidences where very talented uh, drivers have had incidents in the pace cars. We don't want to have that happen. So just working through those schedules now make it a little bit harder than just somebody can show up and get in the pace car on race morning. So we're trying to, trying to finalize those pieces and uh, I'm pretty fired up about it. And then, you know, that tradition that everybody's used to back home again in Indiana, the command to start engines, just that pomp and circumstance leading up to the 500 is the best 30 minutes of the year. Doug, I think I heard this recently, so I want you to be able to clarify it. It may have been from you, truthfully. But I know that when Roger Penske bought the facility, there was conversation, and I don't know that it was necessarily from Roger Penske, maybe it was insinuation or assumption that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway would become more of an entertainment venue and that concerts perhaps would be, and I'm talking about outside the month of May, that different entertainment aspects of the Speedway may be explored. And then we all know, I mean, COVID happened and so things kind of get put on the back burner. Is that stuff back into conversation again? So you're, you're right. In, in 2019, in November, actually the day I think 
that Roger was announced as purchasing the Speedway in his press conference. He talked about how he wanted to really make this more of a, an entertainment destination as well and utilize the facility to, you know, to benefit the city of Indianapolis and the state of Indiana and, and draw more people in. And, and the more we can draw people in for other reasons, the more opportunity we have to communicate to them to make them race fans. And then COVID hit. Um, and then Roger just said, look, we need to focus on getting the 500 back to the 500. Let, that's, that's our bread and butter. Let's not think about anything else. And then really in the last, maybe towards the end of last year, but certainly the beginning of this year, there have been high-level conversations about, okay, what are the next steps to start that conversation again? Not so much that the conversations have really started again, but just thinking about we're going to have those conversations about what does our 1,000 acres look like, um, how do we work with the city and the town of Speedway to really think about a long-term development. Let's start putting the processes together in place. So I don't think I don't think it's around the corner, uh, but the conversations are in their infancy, which uh, hasn't happened since 2019. Okay, a week from Friday, right? The, is that um, qualifying and, and is that practice and qualifying for the for the Grand Prix? Yeah, yeah, yep. ready to roll. A week from Friday, where things will get underway for a busy, busy month of May. Doug, I look forward to our conversations all month long. And like I said, uh, just give us the weather maybe coming up for this weekend, uh, that final Sunday in May, and everything will be golden. Uh, Thank you for the time this morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see everybody. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. In a few days. 12 picks for the Colts in this draft, the most ever in the seven-round modern history of the draft. I think that dates back to 94. Uh, So quite a lot for Chris Ballard and company and the man who was extremely busy this weekend. Covering it all, Joel A. Erickson from the Star joins us now. Um, Joel, actually, if you don't mind, I wanted to go back to Thursday night because you know, we were sitting there when Houston takes C.J. Stroud at two, and for whatever that was, five, six minutes, you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, what is about to happen at three? Who is going to trade up? Will there be a trade up? 
what happens if a quarterback goes and how will the Colts react to that? Um, are you of the belief they would have taken Will Levis had a team traded up for Anthony Richardson? That's a that's a fantastic question. And I I kind of lean that they would not have made a pick at four and would have traded down. They may have still ended up with Will Levis, but I think it would have been later. Um, and I'm kind of just, that's kind of just a gut feel. I, I know what Jim Mercer said. I know I said, I think we would have taken Will Levis. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. The, the, the fact that Levis lasted as long as he did, ended up going all the way to the second round, um, I think maybe they would have tried to get more picks out of it because we, we ended up seeing later in the draft that Chris Ballard aggressively tried to get more picks. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that number four they might have tried to trade out of. Yeah, and I don't think it's a um, it's like a, a a big majority of the Colts fan base at all that would think this, but it is interesting, Joel. If you just look at okay, you could have gotten Anthony Richardson like the Colts did. Or, you know, in, in the Titans' case, they come away with, you know, arguably the best offensive lineman in the draft in Peter Skaronsky and then Will Levis. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. just with these two teams in the AFC, we'll naturally compare them for years to come. Um, but the fact that Levis fell as much as he did, that's going to be a um, certainly a storyline we'll at least talk about twice a year coming up in the fall. The other thing, the other thing that, that keeps hanging out in the back of my head about what, what, you know, maybe they wouldn't have taken Levis is, if the Texans don't trade up, if it's Anthony Richardson at three to Seattle or whoever, that means Will Anderson is still on the board. Yeah, that's a good point. And, I mean, man, I, I feel like if you're Chris Ballard, it'd be, it'd be tempting, you know, to, to go for Will Anderson at that spot. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I lean. I know what Jim Irsay said. I I just I'd be curious to find out what what everybody else was thinking. I don't know if we're going to get their thoughts on that publicly, but I'd be curious to see what everybody else was thinking in that moment. Joel, what about the Colts draft surprised you? Either a position they didn't go after or a position they went heavy on that you that surprised you? Uh really, I think the thing that surprised me most was that they took a receiver who's 5'9". Just Chris Ballard just hasn't done that. I mean, I know they signed Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, I was at the owners' meetings when Shane Steichen said, um, you know, I, I like receivers with a varying bunch of different skill sets. Uh, but, you know, I, I've just gotten used to Chris Ballard takes receivers who are 6'3 and 215 pounds, which is the average of the seven he'd taken before that. Um, and so, like, when I was putting together my – who to watch for in the second round. I didn't put Downs on it, not because I didn't think Downs was a good player, but just because they just don't take players that short. Um, so that that was probably the biggest surprise for me was, oh, that this is a change in, in what they've wanted in the past, taking a player who's, who's that far under six feet. Joel, if I made you write down one name on a sheet of paper right now and the parameters were, this is your best bet of a rookie to start 17 games here this season, would Juju Brents be that guy? Yeah. 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 I was gonna say. I was gonna say if you if you add in if if you count on slot as a as a starter, you could write downs in there. But it, it just with the with the corner situation the way it is, knowing that knowing that Kenny Moore is a nickel. I mean, he he plays outside in base, obviously, but Gus Bradley referred to him as a nickel. So in seventy five, eighty percent of the snaps, he's going to be inside. Brent's 
seems like a see it seems like a no brainer that Brent's uh, ends up starting there. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, Chris Ballard's had some issues with corner in the draft in the second round, especially in terms of immediate impact. So it'll be interesting to see how, how Brent does right away. Um, obviously, I thought the other kind of funny thing with all the corners they took is Gus Bradley kind of not – he kind of downplayed the idea that they love tall corners uh, the week before the draft, and then they, all three they drafted are 6'2 or taller. So it, it still matters. <laughs> the height thing still matters. Yeah, honestly, Joel, the name that I might write down second on that list, you know, I, I think there's a good chance Richardson plays very early, but I probably wouldn't put him second. I understand Downs. The name I might put second would be the next corner that they took in Darius Rush in round five, just given, yes, you know, people thought he might go earlier than that, but just given the scarcity of that position. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting what they're doing there. Um, they, they've done this before where they took – a corner in the second and then a corner in the fifth when they took Rocky Sin and, and Marvell Tell. And both of those guys ended up playing. Tell didn't really start. He played like 250 snaps as a rookie. But, you know, they, they've done it before where they where they pick guys like this without, you know, a ton of other options there. And they, they ended up starting them. So it's it's interesting. They're kind of, it, it seems right now like they're just going to kind of go with the young guys and, and see where it goes. Um, that kind of speaks to that kind of speaks to the fact that this is a longer-term plan and build uh, the way they've constructed it this offseason. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Joel, my question for you regarding the current Colts roster, and by that I mean going into the draft. Tell me the player on the Colts roster that should be most elated by the Colts draft pattern this year? And tell me the player that probably was the most unsettled by the way they drafted. Uh, most excited, Will Fries. Um, they they didn't end up taking an interior player until they, until they we got to the undrafted free agent part. So, um, and, and Tony Sperano kind of hinted at this last week when we talked to him that – you know, he liked Will Fries as a starter at right guard, or he liked, you know, where, where he was headed in developmentally. But draft-wise, I think after corner, kind of expected them to go guard and try to get somebody to compete for the starting job there. So the fact that they didn't, uh, Will Fries to be sure. I think going the other way, probably like – I don't know. Maybe, maybe Isaiah Rogers. Just given that. What about the in-house Rogers tight ends? The tight end. I think the tight the tight ends probably, but I don't know. It's hard to know which tight end right. should feel concerned. You know, I think maybe probably you probably guess Kylan Granson because the guy they drafted uh, is more Granson like than a Mo Alley Cox like. Yeah, and Jelani Woods is Jelani Woods. I think I don't think he's he's threatened at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think that. Uh, the other, the other thing I was thinking was Rodgers, just because Rodgers is coming up here where he's he he kind of needs to get a full year as a full time starter going into his contract year, and drafting a bunch of tall corners that this this defensive coordinating staff seems to like. You know, obviously, like last year, Rodgers outplayed Faison from start to finish, and somehow only got you know a, a you know a very minimal amount more snaps than than Faison did. I think that you could look at it that way too, and go. I, I'm going into trying to prove I'm a starting cornerback, so I can get starting cornerback money. And they just drafted three guys who are all tall. 
Joey Erickson from the Stars with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, what was it? Nine picks on day three, Joel. Uh, the one that you're most intrigued by. It doesn't have to necessarily be the best pick, but just intrigued by the story, the background, whatever. Uh, most intrigued by probably Jake Witt, <laughs> the last pick. Um, just because everything I've read on him sounds like this guy is, and Chris Ballard kind of admitted that that's a swing. They're just they're just throwing that one into the into the. He's got all the tools for it. He hasn't done it very much. He's super raw. They just want to see if they can get it out of him. And that's 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 an interesting story. But I think the other part of it that's interesting is. Every once in a while, there's a lot of these guys that don't pan out. Don't get me wrong. There's a bunch of these guys who get taken because of their their tools and stuff, and they don't ever develop into it. But every once in a while, a team does take a guy like that, and it ends up working out. Like Jordan Malata for the Eagles is a good example. I mean, and so, Denzel Good, right? I mean, he was like a seventh or eighth rounder from a small school and was a nice player for them. Yeah, yeah. So those those. Those stories are always interesting because sometimes those guys end up turning into something that you weren't necessarily expecting. I mean, Mo, Mo Ali Cox, I don't, he hasn't reached, like a, I think, what the Colts thought was his ceiling. But you consider his basketball background and what he's turned into, especially as a blocker, that's, that's kind of similar. And so, like, I think that's probably the most intriguing one to me is, can they take this lump of, of you know, really, really raw, even more raw than, say, Richardson, and can Tony Sperano turn him into something? Joe, we were talking about this earlier, probably on a couple of each hour we've brought this up, but I want your thought on it. Uh, I think Kevin agreed with me on this. One of the first things I, I mentioned this morning to him, now that the draft was over, was um, it would appear as though if there is concern about the health of Shaquille Leonard, the Colts don't find it to be concern enough that they needed to immediately start making a backup plan. Or that if they do need to make a backup plan, it's already on the roster. Agreed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably EJ Speed is, is what they're betting on. Gus Bradley said some really, really um, praise. He's praised EJ Speed and the way he grew in the defense last year. Um, but but to the larger point, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, them not taking a linebacker, not sort of back backstopping themselves, it, it is a a bet on it because they had a pretty good player there in Fabio Carrique last year. You you don't know if, if what what speed did it say. Uh, well, I guess it's the auto here, the strong side linebacker, um, would translate to the other side. And they, they haven't really added anybody who's, uh, you know, a linebacker linebacker. Now, they did give one undrafted free agent a $100,000 guarantee, but he's an undrafted free agent. So um, You might expand yeah, it on I that, do, Joel. I think that's a good take on it. You might expand it on the undrafted linebacker. I know you do a lot of homework on that group and just what that type of signing bonus means. We obviously saw last year JoJo Doman, an undrafted linebacker, make the team. Yeah, so the the interesting thing is that uh, as much money as the guarantees get, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the roster. If I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that last year uh, Ryan Vandemark, the tackle, got something like $275,000 in guaranteed money. And he didn't make the roster. Um, and so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it. What, it. what it generally means is that other teams were after you. Um, and, and Donovan, you've seen the, the guy from Houston. He's played a lot. He's been around a lot. Um, I think he tested fairly well. And 
it, they were they were clearly Valerie said they kind of had a priority on linebackers since they didn't draft one and they drafted free agent. There must have been other teams coming after him that made them feel like they had to had to up the guarantee. It's really not a huge guarantee though compared to the rest of the league. Whereas like Vandermark, I know was up at the very top of biggest guarantees last year. A hundred thousand, I think, when I counted it up, at least the information I have, it's more around like fifteen. And that that information probably doesn't have everybody, so it's probably more around the twentieth range. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I know the athletic trait headline stands out to you about this Colts draft class. Like that was easily, I think, the most popular thought that I saw from you know national draft people or just general Colts fans. To me, it's not that big of a difference from typical Ballard drafts. I mean, it's probably a slight increase, but Ballard always drafts guys that are crazy athletic and go to the Senior Bowl and our team captains. To me, what I think is the biggest difference in this draft is I saw premium positions addressed earlier than he's ever really done. I mean, when you talk about, and again, this is my opinion, but I look at quarterback, wideout, tackle, defensive end, and corner. Those five, to me, stand above the rest of all the other positions. Well, the first four picks, he drafted four of those five. And then you go five of the first six. And then you go eight of the 12 if you look at the entire draft class. For me, I think this draft class stands out in that area. It was more of an earlier focus on the premium positions compared to other Ballard drafts. Well, and I think I think he's done that in some of the other drafts in terms of he drafted premium positions in the second or third round. But what this draft didn't have that the other ones have is the one where we're kind of, we're sitting there and the name comes up and the position comes up and you're going, huh? They took Jonathan Taylor, a running back, you know, when they already have Marlon Mack or um, Okereke. I remember that pick being that way, where it's like, oh, they took a linebacker, uh, and it feels like they're already kind of set there for the immediate future. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of picks that like you could look at as okay this is for one year out when this guy's a free agent and we might want to move on from him um and i think part of that is if you looked at the depth chart going into the draft this team had a significant need for depth at just about well not every spot but a lot of different spots on the roster they had to fill a lot of needs they didn't they haven't done a lot in terms of you know, adding some of those back-end parts of the roster in free agency, like, especially on the offensive line. That's the one I'm thinking about the most. If you look at the offensive line depth chart, going into the draft and even coming out of it, there's a real lack of experience uh, depth there. And and so they they had to to make a lot of picks to to kind of, in an effort to to re-inject some depth into this roster. Joel A. Erickson is our guest, Indianapolis Star, where you can read his work. Payless Ziggers Hotline is where his voice is now. Um, Joel, other teams around the league, and I realize your focus is on the Colts, but whether it be from your own observation or just from some of your colleagues maybe um, in discussing it, any other team that jumped out at you either as one that you thought, okay, they had a really good plan and I think they've got to be thrilled with the draft, or a team where you said, what in the world are they possibly doing? Detroit was confusing. Mark <laughs> just, agrees with I you. I told you. First round, Detroit was just really confusing going. Uh, Jameer Gibbs at 12, uh, and then taking Jack Campbell, the linebacker, at 18 um, or 20. I can't remember the, the right round, the right pick for sure. Um, but it just, 
that's kind of the opposite of what K- what KB was just saying about taking premium positions. They didn't just take non-premium positions. They took players who were expected to fall farther. I mean, I think if it was B. John Robinson at 12, he'd be like, okay, they took a running back, but it's supposed to be a generational one. Jameer Gibbs, my understanding, is more of a like passing down complimentary back, and they signed David Montgomery for the Bears for six million dollars a year during a free agency. That was a that was a strange one. Um, and then I think the other one that sticks out just from the first night, I can't, remember, I actually don't know what they did the rest of the draft, but the, the Texans kind of taking the big swing with the two, the two big time guys, the quarterback and the defensive end at two and three. Um, Obviously, obviously injects some interest into a franchise that when we've gone down there the past couple of years, there's, there hasn't been any. There's just not a lot of tents in the parking lot, that kind of thing. Um, but also, after seeing some of the stuff that people said about the Texans are all in on Bryce Young, the Texans are all in on Bryce Young, like, you wonder how all in they are on C.J. Stroud now. I mean, they took him at two, but everything we heard, like, where did that come from? You know, was there some truth to that? You know, did they did they kind of feel pressured to make a pick there that they didn't necessarily want to make? All right, last one, Joel. Appreciate the time here. And again, as Jake said, uh, Indy Star, all of your coverage from Joel A. Erickson, Nate Atkins as well, all weekend long. Um, I get the vibe from Shane Steichen and Jim Irsay, Joel, that they are very willing to potentially throw Anthony Richardson out there week one. As of May 1st, your thoughts on the Colts' week one starter emphasis on May 1st? Yeah, I, I think right now, I, I'm, I've, based on what Steichen and Ursay said, especially Steichen, um, I, I would put it on Richardson. Um, we've asked Steichen a couple of times about Gardner Minshew, even going back to way before they made the pick, about whether, you know, I think someone asked, you know, point blank, like, I'm assuming Gardner Minshew is going to start. And he has been very reluctant to say anything even remotely in the range of that. I think they want to play him. And I think the other part of this is they don't necessarily have to win right away. You know, Jim Irsay has floated this a couple times now. He's brought up the early Peyton years, how they had some years where the record was bad, but they knew they were headed in the right direction. I think that experience for him is important here because it means he's less likely to be like, we have to win right away. And so if you if you don't have to, if you don't feel like you have to win, you might be more comfortable. You're, you're probably more comfortable with, with starting Anthony Richardson, I, even if there's some hiccups in there. Winning, and I like Gardner Minshew. I, I do. But winning with Gardner Minshew does nobody any good, right? Right. I mean, I, that's the reality. I you might as well, if eventually you're going to hand the keys over, you might as well just say, you know what, go, right? I mean, take the training well, wheels actually, off and go. I keep thinking about this. There's actually a drawback if you have a guy there who's capable of winning enough that it puts you in like a we're Correct. not going to develop the rookie right away position. I just keep thinking about the Dolphins with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tagovailoa, where like Tua's career kind of got a uh, herky-jerky start because they kept like using – Fitzpatrick essentially as a closer in baseball. They would be like, ah, this game's not going well. We're going to pull him in. And, like, it, it did work for them. It got them wins. But in terms of the, the most important thing, which is getting their quarterback ready to play, it, it didn't work out. And I've thought about that a lot. Is if whoever this quarterback is that you're going to have as the backup slash placeholder, you don't want them 
to keep this guy off the field when he might be ready to play. Plus, and this might sound a little harsh, but if you're worried about this kid's scar tissue and handling whatever poor moments as a rookie, then I don't know if he's wired in the right way to handle just inevitable ups and downs that come during an NFL season. Um, again, that, that it might be a little bit too critical early in in his you know career, and I get he's about to turn 21 years old here in a few weeks. But to me, uh, he strikes me as a guy that you know could handle that. And again, if that's a big worry for you, then you're going to probably hit some bumps in the road down you know in his future. Yeah, and and wouldn't the same thing then apply if you're worried about that hurting his chicken his confidence? Wouldn't the same thing apply to starting Gardner Minshew for somebody like Gardner Minshew for 13 games? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I think Minshew's a good backup, but we know what his feeling is as a starter, and that that can be just as big a deal. Um, you know, and, who's playing in front of me in terms of confidence? That, I'm not speaking about Richardson specifically. I think I think what Jamie Moore said about Richardson specifically is something that I've thought about all draft cycle with these guys. Playing at Florida is an enormous amount of pressure, especially when you're a five star prospect or a four star prospect or whatever. Richardson was from Gainesville. Like, yeah, like he's he's. I think Jamie Moore said he's basically a local legend there. Like the the pressure that comes with that, and then he's already had to deal with the disappointment of going six and six and not playing like a superstar right away and having to sit behind people. I think that there's there's probably he's probably been through more than people realize when you think about a 21 year old. Just because I, I used to cover SEC teams. The pressure on those quarterbacks is enormous. Just matters more. And Gardner Minshew, back to that point, though, Joel, when Gardner Minshew signed here, he he had to know the reality, right? I mean, he comes in and he knows they've got the number four pick. I would assume that he is well under the understanding when he came in, hey, I'm, I'm here in a leadership role, and that might mean starting a game. It might mean starting 12. But either way, he has to know that reality, right? Yeah, I mean the contract he signed is for three and a half million dollars with a potential up to five and a half based on playing time. That's actually kind of low for a, a top end backup quarterback. Right. So, and he is a top end backup. I mean, let's be real, right? He's one of the better backups you could get. Yeah, and and so if you look at that contract, Gardner Minshew has been in the NFL long enough to be, and he's smart enough to know. Okay, I signed for three and a half million dollars. I'm not signing to any kind of burst right here. Joel, great work all weekend long. Enjoyed, frankly, I just enjoyed your sane company uh, in that room, which uh, you know can get a bit bit chaotic in there, especially when Drake the dog comes in and starts eating the media food. <laughs> Drake, Drake moves around. Drake's under your feet. He's on one side of the room. He's on the other one. That dog, that dog explores the space. Tell you what, do the top of the Raz score on Drake. He's a little Josh Downs like moving in and out of some of his breaks there. So quite the uh, quite the effort from Jim Mercer's canine there. So on not Saturday. Drake Nevis is what we're getting uh, at, right? No, not. But I, I I did like Drake Nevis. He had a he had a great attitude. Uh, Joel, great work, man. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate having me on, guys.